Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. This hour we'll be talking with David Pelitis about his uh, second edition book of Bigfoot, Wild Men, and Giants. And of course, Bigfoot is not new to you, David, because you uh, wrote a book called The Hoopa Project. Yes, uh, 10 years ago, that was the first book I ever wrote. And uh, it was after spending two years on the Hoopa Reservation in Northern California, right near the Patterson-Gimlin site, and uh, getting to know the elders and talking to them about the history with the biped, and then uh, bringing in a FBI forensic-trained artist to draw exactly what those people in that community, both Native American and Caucasian, had seen. And that was the first time this was ever done. Other people have just still use artists. But to bring in a, an FBI-trained forensic artist where they know how to extrapolate the description exactly to what the person saw, it's an entirely new experience and one that reaps some great results. And after that, we decided to go towards Oklahoma in the Midwest where we had also had reports of sightings. And we did the same thing with a book called Tribal Bigfoot. And the unique part about what we did with that section of our research, we were the only group that took an affidavit, a legal affidavit from the witnesses about the event and what they observed. That did two things. It allowed us to get an absolute legal description of what they observed, and it meant that nobody from that point forward could ever change the description of what that person saw. And a lot of times we get complaints from witnesses saying, well, yeah, this is what I reported to that website, but they're not reporting it like I saw it. They're saying it Hmm. looked more apish or more gorilla, but I saw something much more human. And this is a regular routine thing with some groups that have this agenda about saying that Bigfoot is related to a gorilla or an ape. That's right. The facts are never has a gorilla or an ape bone or gorilla or ape hair ever been found in North America. Kind of describe for us, if you could, David, uh, paint us a picture of what some of these witnesses have described. Normally, it's, it's a pretty quick event. They're driving down the road, it crosses in front of them. But what we did is we dug for, I was there for two years, until I could find people that trusted us. And a lot of these people were community members, They'd be made fun of by the outside world. But they had close encounters, George. And I'm talking about 15 or 20 feet, a face-to-face encounter. And it, it was myself and Harvey Pratt that sat down with them. And Harvey would go through an exact note-by-note criteria that the FBI trains their artists to do and then to draw what they observe, like, say, a witness seeing, sees a bank robber come into the bank, and the teller gives them the money, and the person runs out. Well, that teller would sit down with Harvey, and Harvey would draw a description of what that person saw. And Harvey's drawings are so accurate that it appears that the suspect was in the room when Harvey drew Jeez. the diagram. It's almost like a photograph. It is. Yeah. So I, it's it's a very interesting way to get a real concise and accurate drawing of something. And we did this, I mean, I wrote two large books about it, and the affidavits were part of the evidence that we used, and it was really a unique way to do it. And from that, it was on Coast to Coast, uh, on Knapp's show, 
where we initiated the DNA project where we ended up getting 110 mitochondrial and nuclear samples. And those went through a genetics lab. They were DNA analyzed and they were automatically taken. The DNA was taken from a machine through automation. So there was no human contamination. Right. Four PhDs wrote a paper. Four independent labs got the same result. And there was 110 samples. There were five nuclear samples. Those samples showed that the DNA on the female side came from 12 to 15,000 years ago in the Middle East. And it was the first time in the history of GenBank that they got accurate DNA on the male side, but it had never been entered in the 352 billion base pairs in GenBank. They couldn't explain it. Did they come up to any kind of conclusion, or could they? The conclusion that could be made from it is is that it's some type of human hybrid. Really? Because it, the DNA was human, and but it had never been categorized. And when you think back in the academic world, what this does is a bunch of amateurs, which was us, went out and initiated a project that was paid for privately to the to the tune of about three hundred thousand dollars. It could gosh. never be accepted, and we didn't understand that. And a bunch of people just went through blameless attacks on us. And unfortunately, Melba Ketchum, who was a scientist that did the DNA work, did just Yellman's work. I remember that case. That was her then. It was her. Okay. And she did a. Oh, she got job. attacked by everybody. Yes, she did. And really, the one guy, uh, an individual named Scott Carpenter, he has a blog. You can look him up, Scott Carpenter, Bigfoot. And he goes through the yeah, we know project note by note. And it, he shows that the DNA was accurate. He has other people, other scientists that came forward and said, yeah, this was, this was a good study. And in fact, it, there was one point where actually George Knapp and I took Melba to one of the top scientists in the world that had written a series of white papers. And he explained to Melba how to write it the right way. And he said, you know, I reviewed your results. Those are dead on accurate. You did a great job of making sure that everything was done That's correctly. Fantastic. And she took a lot of blameless hits about it that uh, it's embarrassing to say that people don't know about the study because of these hit jobs done by fake news. And, and why did they come after her? What was the rationale for, for that? Because the people in the academic community have leveraged their entire career that this is a gorilla or an ape. And that's where they get their money, their grant money. That's the only way they can survive in their world is by sticking with their beliefs. If somebody did said this for 25 or 30 years, then all of a sudden said, well, I made a mistake. You know, it's obviously a human hybrid or it's, it's somewhere on that human spectrum. That would, they lose their credibility. And, and unfortunately, there's two sides to the Bigfoot world. There's these staunch people that absolutely believe it's a gorilla or an ape. And then there's the people that look at the science behind it. And every DNA study done on Bigfoot hair and on nuclear DNA shows it's a human hybrid. Now, tell me about that, that definition, though, human hybrid. What does that mean to you? That the DNA falls on the human side of the spectrum. But what's the hybrid part? We don't know exactly what happened with that male side of the equation. Could it be extraterrestrial? 
well, it's never been categorized on our on our world. And so you can't rule that out. I don't think you can rule much out, other than it was a it was a female human that was on that side of the the docket, and all indications are that it was a male, but it's just never been categorized. How tall were these creatures? Uh, I think they run the gamut. I mean, in the work we did, they generally ran between seven and eight and a half feet in North in the United States. But there've been reports in British Columbia as high as twelve feet. Could they have been the Nephilim from the Bible, David? You know, Scott Carpenter wrote an entire book about that, and that's a fascinating side of the equation. And Scott has taken that apart bit by bit and done a great job explaining it. That could be a huge possibility. Well, you know, it, it, it's, it's strange because if it was a gorilla or if it was an ape, not of the intellect of a human, then why can't we just go out and get one? Exactly. And how many, what do you think, what do you think the population is of these things? Well, based on witness descriptions, it's got to be in the thousands. All over the planet. Well, for sure, all over North America. I mean, they're the Yetis of the Himalayas. Well, there's the Yetis, and then there's the Almasti in Russia, and there's the Yaren in China, and there are these, and they have different names for different areas. Is it the Sasquatch here? I I think that, that would be safe to say. Now, your book, Bigfoot, Wild Men, and Giants, tell us about this one, because this is the second edition, right? Correct, and and this one came about as I was doing archival searches on people. I would start to run across these stories, and George, every story said wild men, and I would look at it, and I would read it, and it would match the description of what we know as Sasquatch, and these go back hundreds of years in newspapers. And I just started to cut him out. And I thought, well, that's odd. And I started to have this giant folder filled with these old newspaper articles, straight out of some of the biggest newspapers in the world. And I started to put it together because I started to notice that there were also articles about giant bones that were found in North America and in Europe. And we're not talking, you know, seven-foot giants, we're talking nine- to 12-foot giants that were found by ranchers, farmers, and people that would just happen to be owning a piece of property. And they were found in cuts of rivers. Uh, They would be tilling the soil, and they'd dig up a grave. And then they'd call a university over, and they'd come. And there were many, many times that the articles that were very old said that the Smithsonian was called, and they came, and they took custody of the remains. And many times, these remains of the giants, they would find tools and unusual metals. And these are in the articles, again, from some of the biggest papers in North America. So I started to cut these out. So what I had was, uh, at the time, about 350, 60 pages of articles, just newspaper articles. That's huge. It was huge. Well, then, in the last year, uh, I sold out of those books faster than any book I've ever written. And then I started to dig a little deeper, and I came up with another 75 pages of documentation and articles that made the second edition, all supporting that every one of these old articles, George didn't say, 
hairy monster. It didn't say monster in the woods. It didn't say gorilla. It didn't say ape found in the garden. It said wild man. And the descriptions matched a wild man, except they had hair all over the body, very elusive, etc. Yeah, I got to tell you, David, uh, there's something going on on this planet that is so inexplainable to people. Well, this is just another part of it. I think people need to understand, too, that there's no theories here. There's no ideas I'm promoting. These are just factual newspaper articles that are by date that start in 1680 and go to 1923. And in those articles, you're going to see a very consistent pattern of a description that matches what we know today. So people say, oh, you know, people, they thought it was a bear, and they just mistook it, blah, blah, blah. If you read the articles, you'll see that there's a very consistent nature in what people see, how they see it, and the mannerisms of what this biped does when it is seen. And then when you think about the giant's size of it, Something's, it's obviously something's being withheld from us about giants in North America because there's too many times where a local farmer, local rancher finds these giant things. They send a reporter out. He confirms that it's bones that are way larger than anything we've ever known, but they're obviously human. Then they send a university out. They do a forensic recovery of the bones, and then they're never seen again. Amazing. I mean... And yet, you you do not tie in this with the missing people story. How come? And I'm, I'll yell that from the highest rafters. I, I, and you do. And you do. And there's a lot of people and a lot of podcasts that are just outright lying. I'm saying straight up, I have never found a connection between the items, uh, between Bigfoot, missing people, and giants. Now, they say, well, obviously, you you have this research and you've done all this work on Bigfoot. It's obviously related. You're saying that, but you don't want to say it publicly. No, I'm saying that I live in the world of facts. You show me a fact that the two are related, I'll be all over it. But don't tell me about a story about a campsite somewhere that was all broken into shambles and they can't find the person. Well, unless you can tell me the name of that person that's missing from that site where there appeared to be an attack... I don't want to hear about it because there's too many people that talk about this fabrication. Oh, you know, this person disappeared, but there's no name and there's this big cover up. I don't believe that. Too many times I'm able to get the reports. Too many times I'm able to track down who's missing. If you tell me the location and you tell me the jurisdiction, those local jurisdictions are not going to lie for the federal government. I know too many sheriffs and too many cops that would say, we don't care what the federal government tells us. We're not going to fabricate. We're not going to withhold something. We're going to tell the truth. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.